Weber State, and then there, you know, one or two stops here and there, got the Weber State Wildcats to football back. But the ground game of James Madison, I thought, came to play. And Weber State, I mean, these kids are not getting enough credit for what they, not only did they almost knock off the number one team in the country that has been dominant all year in on their home turf, but they did it after flying all the way from Utah to do it. I mean, that's not an easy flight, not an easy trip. It was in the cold. Granted, it's cold in Utah, too, but what a job that, especially Stephon Cantwell, did it, had a great game. Drew, Drew Batchelor, what a catch in the fourth quarter with two guys all over him. As soon as that happened, da-da-da, da-da-da, that's number one top play. That's the touchdown that's going to give Weber State the win. They're going to the semis. Just that little bit off, that little bit off for Weber State. Um, but really an incredible credit for the team from the big sky. Really held their own against a national powerhouse. Yeah, and the trip part is when you look at uh, people focus on the travel and the weather. But that's not really a case, man. Like you said, they play in Utah. I was more surprised that. It felt like at, at times Weber State was playing a little tentative. When you have a team on the ropes, you're supposed to go for the knockout blow. That's what champions do. That's what North Dakota State does. That's what James Madison did a lot last year in route to the championship. So Weber State was playing a little timid, I thought. They didn't believe they could win until it was time to win, and that's why they ended up losing that ball game. Yeah, and, and I think you see that especially along the line. Um, as you said, they were running downhill. Marcus Marshall had a heck of a game for JMU. Uh, one that we really haven't seen as much from him this year, but he was a dominant force, just not enough. I mean, you talk about overall talent and a program that's been built for the last 10 years to be the successful as JMU has been. Weber's having their success now. Last couple seasons, they've been very, very strong. But JMU, there's a reason they're held on a pedestal. Unlike, like your North Dakota states of the world, is because they can do stuff like this. Speaking of the Bison, they were home taking on Wofford. Now, when we predicted this game, we thought the triple option might give them some trouble. This might be a little bit close. This was over in the first quarter. And I'm, I'm turning on my TV. I'm watching this game. I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. I, 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 no. what, it's 14. Why is it 20, 20, 21, 20, 28? Oh, okay. Flip the channel going back. North Dakota State whitewashes Wofford. 42-10. Pure dominance from Easton Stick. The kryptonite for any option offense is turnovers. And that's what's, that was the biggest issue for Wofford in this ballgame. North Dakota State did a great job forcing turnovers, which steals away possessions. And then North Dakota State capitalized on those turnovers, which made it a track meet. And you couldn't, you're going to take, are you going to take Wofford out of their game? And that's essentially what happened. So when you when you have an option offense that's based on ball control, ball security, and time of possession, that's which you can't have happen. And they had it happen on consecutive series, got down bad, and it got down quick, and ultimately got run out the stadium. Run out the stadium, and against a team like North Dakota State, that will make you pay for every little mistake. It doesn't even have to be a turnover. It could just be a little bit of a missed route, a missed block, and they stop you for a gain of two instead of a gain of ten. That You can't let this happen. And Easton Stick, I mean, kudos to this kid. He continues to show how good of a quarterback he really is. He was only 11 of 16, but something that was really interesting, no receiver had more than two catches for North Dakota State. Balancing where you're putting the football, you can't focus in on any one guy. That's what makes North Dakota State so good. They have so many weapons around Easton Stick. It makes it really tough to defend. Yeah, they were killing Wofford with the same will play. Uh, Sometimes it was a fullback will or tight end will down the sideline. They ran that play three straight times. One was a touchdown. The other two was... (laughs) 
big plays that could have been touchdowns. So why are we watching this replay? This exactly. Is, this oh, is, it's not a replay. It's the same it, thing. It was amazing to see. And again, when you're North Dakota State and you smell blood in the water, you go out and you finish. And that's exactly what they did. That's what Weber State didn't do. But you see the stark opposite of that with a team like North Dakota State that has been there, done there, done that, bought the T-shirt. You know, so they're in this game for a reason, and that's why they were able to take away Wofford's greatest strength, which is their ball security, and make it a big weakness and blow them out. And you talk about the three-headed monster as well in the backfield for North Dakota State, which was you would think an option team would know how to stop the run. But Bruce Anderson, obviously, he's the engine. Without him, that offense is not nearly as good. But you add in Seth Wilson and Ty Brooks, who combined for 25 carries and 147. Forget about it. You're not slowing this team down when you have that many options in the running attack to control the game. Absolute dominance for North Dakota State. Another team that shows some dominance, South Dakota State. The Dakotas, there's nothing in the Dakotas to be South Mount Rushmore and good FCS football programs. That's about it. The Jackrabbits all over New Hampshire, 56-14. We knew that New Hampshire's run couldn't last. At some point, they were going to be exposed as to why they were the least deserving quarterfinalist in FCS football history, and it happened to be the Jackrabbits who did it. Yeah, I mean, they got off to a great start, too, and so that's what you're supposed to do when you're playing this deep into the playoffs. You're supposed to impose your will. The Jackrabbits, a three-headed monster, you talked about that. Their defense, I thought, was a big story this game because I like how New Hampshire can control the line of scrimmage. That has been their hallmark all season long, right. which yeah. gives them a shot in every game. But South Dakota State's defense, I thought, was able to reset the line of scrimmage, play on the opposite side of that, get those quick three and outs, put the ball back in the hands of that offense, and they know what to do with it. So their defense really set the table for how they were going to play that that whole game. And he really was able to uh, use they could use their, their deep passing game. Um, they can use their running game. Their quarterback can get outside the pocket and cause a lot of problems. So they're not one-dimensional. They're not two-dimensional. They're multifaceted, and their offense was definitely on display against New Hampshire. And when was the last time you heard of a team putting up 56 points with five rushing touchdowns? That's that's. An, I mean, usually when you're seeing that many points, it's through the air. You're hitting long bombs, you know, Sam Houston style. But you got five rushing touchdowns and putting up 56-plus points? That's an incredibly tough offense to stop when you're that effective in the running game. Well, it shows you that they uh, came into this ball game with, with a plan. And, you, you know, when you're able to dominate up front, you're going to win a lot of games. There's a team that we're going to talk about later that does exactly that and why that game is a tough matchup despite going against another top 15 team. And we have to give some credit as well to New Hampshire. I mean, obviously, we didn't think they deserved to get in. It was kind of a gift. They got, you know, a lot, a few breaks in the beginning. This is a good football team, and especially in the in the trenches on the front line, as you said, that's always their strength. Um, Trevor Knight didn't have his best day, but still was not bad. Kieran Presley with seven catches for 133. He's another kid that doesn't get nearly enough of a look um, as others, but. I felt like they were really good last year. They yes. had they had some outstanding players in Dalton Crossan. Um their their tight end was good, you know, dealing with injuries, but I felt like New Hampshire if this was last year's team making this run, I think New Hampshire wins this game. Yeah, I mean or New, comes at least makes it close. This team I thought I, well, I think this team is a year ahead. You know, so next year this team with all the guys they have returning should be better. Uh, but last year's team I thought was really good. Let's move on to the last quarterfinal, and this was the one we were intrigued by. 
some intrigue in this game because it was a complete opposite side of the spectrum when it comes to how these play teams run their offense. Sam Houston State, okay corral, throw it long, run a streak route, score against the rushing powerhouse and probably one of the best stories of FCS this year in Kennesaw State. And it was much closer than we expected a closer game. A lot of people were saying Sam Houston's going to throw out all of them. It's going to be, they're going to blow them out of the building. 34-27, Kennesaw, in just their third year of existence, they put up a fight against a really, really high-powered offense. Yeah, and you talk about a team that had a lot to play for, Kennesaw State's offense um, and, and their defense. They came in this game expecting to win. This was the complete opposite of what we saw Weber State do uh, in that ball game. Kennesaw came out, hey, we're going to do what we do best. We're going to run the football. We're going to play great defense. We're going to get off the field. We're going to make plays. But you just can't prep for the offense of Sam Houston State that has a ton of, you know, Sam Houston State has a ton of firepower. They score quickly. They're fast and they're explosive. And if they get up on you, it, it kind of shocks you a little bit because they can then – you know, dictate the turns and make sure you get out your game plan. And that's what happened for a stretch. But then you saw Kennesaw State come back in that ball game and nearly pull it off. And, and we look at Sam Houston State, and Jeremiah Briscoe gets the headlines, and rightfully so. I mean, the guy is a Walter Payton Award finalist. He's, he's thrown for over 500 yards several times this year. But Corey Avery doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves for what he does for the Sam Houston State offense. He runs for 21 carries for 129 in this one. He's a fast running back that can get to the outside but can also run you over. That's a really tough back to stop. Um, and when you combine that with what the threat that Briscoe is through the air, it's really hard to prepare for this team. Yeah, and that's the thing. They make you, and you hear the saying all the time, uh, defend every blade of grass, right? They make you defend every blade of grass. They cover the field. They, uh, you know, they can hit every quandary. All those cliches that you hear football-wise yeah. – that's Sam Houston State. They can go up-tempo. They can spread the field. Their third and fourth receiver is definitely better than your third and fourth corner. Your linebackers can't keep up with the running game. You will have a problem matching up unless you have just as much of speed and depth that they do because they run up-tempo. They're going to get a lot of plays in, and they are not just getting a lot of plays just for the sake of plays. A lot of those plays are chunk plays, and so that's why they're so dangerous. That's why teams hate playing Sam Houston State. And i got to give a shout-out, too, to one of the best first names I've ever seen, Yedidiah Lewis, uh, for Sam Houston, who had nine catches for 123. He had an, an incredible game. But we also have to talk about this team from Kennesaw. And it, it's so tough. This is such a competitive level of football. You know, your FBS, you always have your powerhouse teams. you got a couple in FCS, too, but it's not – there's a lot more parity, and we've seen it a lot this year. For a team in their third year of existence, coming out of the Big South, to have this deep of a run – is truly impressive, um, and they they are getting a lot of credit for it. They don't get enough. Um, Chandler Burks, one of the more valuable players to his team this year, incredible dual, dual threat guy. Um, I, I, I'm you don't expect this from a Big South team, let alone a team that's been around for three years, to do this. I mean, it's just an incredible rise for Kennesaw State. Yeah, credit to Coach Bohannon doing a great job in building that program from the ground up and. Here's the thing. When, when you look at a team like this, this, yes, third-year program, this far in the playoffs, and, and they still have a lot of depth, and they're in a talent-rich state. Yes. You know, if you want to start an upstart or have an upstart program, what better place to be in than in Georgia, you know, mm. or Texas? You see right now uh, Division Three playoffs, Mary Hart and Baylor 
the crew, are going to the finals. Yep. That's a Texas Division Three program. So that tells you how talented they are as far as that state with how talent. How deep it is. Yeah. How deep it is. We talk about all the time Louisiana FCS programs. Grambling is in the Celebration Bowl. Uh, Southern is pretty good. Southeast Louisiana is pretty good. Nichols was in the playoffs. So that's – McNeese State it should have been in the playoffs. Should have been. So <laughs> there you have it. There, There's talent in, this, in these states. Georgia is one of those. And you think about the FCS programs that they have in Georgia. I want to say it's only Kennesaw State and Mercer. Yeah. I think that's it. You know, so Georgia Southern went to the, to the Sun Belt Conference. Georgia State moved up. Georgia State moved up. So you got two FCS programs in the state of Georgia, and I'm not surprised at the, the, the amount of talent. Hell, their Division Two program is stocked with West Georgia just got knocked out the playoffs. So if you're lucky to be in one of these states, you're going to do very well, and this is why we see Kennesaw State, uh, I want to say, have – they're built for sustained success. And you're going to have a conference, too, in the Big South that is now getting stronger and growing. We, you, know, you already have Monmouth. You have Charleston Southern, who's usually a pretty good powerhouse. You're now adding Hampton is coming in, I believe, in a couple of years. Campbell is moving in next year. you got North Alabama moving up from D2. This is a conference that's getting stronger. So if you have a team that's built for success, a program that's built for success, the only way you're going to get to that next step, I mean, this team three years in is already making the quarterfinals. You get a little bit tougher competition, a little bit stronger schedule. It's only going to make that program better. Um, I can't wait to see what the Owls can do next season. Um, obviously, you're going to lose some guys, but this team is built and ready to go. And I know this is off topic, but it wouldn't surprise me. And I don't, I don't want to take away from the Gulf South Conference in Division Two, but man, if you got North Alabama coming in from that conference, Valdosta State is a tremendous Division II program right there in South Georgia, Valdosta, mm-hmm. Georgia. You know, you add that in there, now you're really talking about some a premier conference. The, the Big South is going to be right there at the top when you're talking about the CAA or the SOCON. Let's say right now Ooh. they could be right there with the SOCON Ooh. as far as talent. You know, so I believe that's what they call a hot take in the business. Is well, that- people are going to be upset, <laughs> but yeah, this is why we do what we do. F-ball game plan, get in his mentions. You called me out a couple weeks ago. I'm going to call you out right now. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Again, this is the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We come back. we got some more coaching changes, even more coaching changes going on. Um, some coaches moving up in the world um, of football. We've got a complete breakdown of the Celebration Bowl between North Carolina A&T and Grambling. And then we will go into the semifinals. You don't want to miss this, folks. It's going to be some great matchups. Matchups, I don't, I'm not comfortable calling these on the air. They're that close. We'll be right back after this break. Stay with us. Have you ever been stuck in traffic listening to the guy blap away on the radio and think, man, I could do a better job than this guy, but I can't go back for a four-year degree? Well, you don't have to. For over 50 years, the Connecticut School of Broadcasting has prepared students with hands-on training that can get you ready for the broadcasting industry in just three months. All of their instructors are industry professionals, and day and evening classes are available to fit your schedule. CSB is the oldest and largest group of communication schools in the country, with three convenient locations in Hasbrook Heights, Westbury, and Cherry Hill. And once you graduate, CSB will help you find jobs and internships all over the area or even all over the country. So stop sitting there and take the first step toward your dream career. 
call 1-800-TV-RADIO or go to gocsb.com for more information and to schedule your tour. Learn by doing at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Welcome back, folks, to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. David Hasaken here with Emery Hunt. And Emery, we got we went through a ton of coaching changes last week as we went through Pink Slip Week. We've got even more coaching changes that have come down the pipe. And we, you know, we're on Thanksgiving holiday. Nothing's gonna happen. It's gonna be bo- wait, alert. Okay, this this isn't good. Oh, okay, we got another one. And I'm texting you back and forth. We've got a ton to talk about, folks. And one of the more surprising ones is there's been a changing of the guard of Mike McCarthy's beloved Purple Bears of Central Arkansas. Steve Campbell moving up in the world. He's now been named the new head coach at South Alabama in the Sun Belt. Nathan Brown, the offensive coordinator, he is taking over at head coach. It's definitely a changing of the guard just when a program is really reaching its peak. Yeah, and again, you hate to see, you love to see coaches get promotions. You just hate to see the FCS lose a great one. And good thing they're promoting from within. Yeah. This is a program that's going to be real good. And I, I like the move for both parties because you're replacing a really good program, a really good coach in uh, Joey Jones at uh, South Alabama. And he was – we just talked about Coach Bohannon down at Kennesaw State. Joey Jones was the guy that started South Alabama's program, I want to say maybe 2006 or seven, something like that. Right. And so – you know, he's obviously their all-time winning coach, got them to a couple bowl games. So Campbell's going to a really good situation, and taking over him is an assistant coach of his that's going to maintain a good situation. So both programs should still continue to move forward. And uh, you talk and about- I don't appreciate you coming right to me after I just came back from getting water and I'm out of breath and I have to catch my breath first. <laughs> you, you shouldn't be out of breath. You're supposed to be the athlete on this show. Come on now. Uh, but you, you talk about Nathan Brown, too, carrying on a legacy Guy who was who is an Arkansas native, has almost every record possible for quarterbacks at Central Arkansas. He will continue that legacy, I'm sure. Um, another guy that's moved up in the world, Andrew Briner, um, head coach at Fordham, now taking over as the offensive coordinator at Mississippi State, moving up to the SEC. A little bit surprising by this move, but you weren't so shocked at all. No, not at all, because the guy that groomed him for their Fordham head coaching job is the current head coach at Mississippi State and Joe Moorhead. So... Kudos for those guys. Uh, working the system properly, you have Moorhead taking a step back from the head coaching position to go be an OC at Penn State because it's a big school, a, pro- a Power 5 program. Parlayed that into a head coaching job at Mississippi State. Briner's doing the same thing, following the same trek, following the same path, taking a step back to move forward. We know he has offense. We know Moorhead has offense. You saw that in what his immediate impact was at Penn State. Briner's offense can really move the football. It's the same offense as Joe Moorhead. So you're going to see uh, Briner go from, you know, Mississippi State's OC to hot hit coaching candidate moving forward. And he's still 32 years old. So he Definitely. has a lot of young – he has he has the future is bright for him. In his prime. And one of the guy moving up into the FBS ranks is NC Central's coach Jerry Mack, who's been there for um, – for four seasons, had some really great success. He's now the offensive coordinator at Rice. Definitely going to make uh, a challenge with a smaller school um, at the FBS level in a pretty competitive conference. And that's why I love the move. First of all, it's the same blueprint we just talked about. He's going from being a head coach, running your own show, to now being the head coach of the offense. And Rice, I think, is a sleeping giant. Rice is dab smack in the middle of Houston, Texas. 
you start moving that football down the field and, and creating some explosive offense, guess what? You're going to start to steal some recruits away from Houston. And now you have created a, a nice little rivalry in their city. And here's the thing. I don't think that, uh, you know, they play a lot. They used to be in the Southwest Conference when they were conference foes. Now right. Houston's in the American. Rice is in Conference USA. It also puts a dent in Prairie View, which is nearby. Also, Texas Southern, which is right in Houston. Mm. So if that offense starts moving, Jerry Mack is an HBCU head coach. He now can still put prospects away, potential prospects away from Texas Southern because he knows how to win those recruiting battles. And he's a guy that's a he's a he's a former college wide receiver slash tight end. He's an offensive minded guy. He had North Carolina Central in the Celebration Bowl. Their offense was explosive. Rice is going to be really good, really fast, and Mac is going to be one of those guys that we're going to hear as a Power Five head coaching candidate down the line. And one other guy that we uh, that's got another coaching gig um, is Willie Simmons moving from Prairie View A&M moving to Florida A&M and we said that when Florida A&M gets a new coach they're ready to explode they're ready to come back with a vengeance the Rattlers is this the right guy for that move I think so and he's a Florida guy he's going in a great situation coach Alex Wood did a great job in recruiting for FAMU they got a really good quarterback in Ryan Stanley a big fan of his his game their offensive line is is not senior latent so they got a lot of experience coming back and he's leaving a good situation in Prairie View. You know, I, some would say it's a lateral move, but FAMU to me is a, a premier program. You know, you talk about some of the greats, Jake Gaither, the legendary head coach, yeah. Willie Gallimore, uh, Willie the Wisp that played for the Chicago Bears, but he was he starred at FAMU, um, Bullet Bob Hayes, FAMU grad. So there's a, And FAMU won the first FCS national championship in 1978. So – it's a premier program. He goes there and does his thing. He can really take this thing and move it forward. But it also opens up. I wonder if, if they're going to take the interim tag off Bubba McDowell. You're probably too young to remember this, but I know Mike probably remembers the name Bubba McDowell. Probably does it. Um, <laughs> play cornerback for the Houston Oilers. Um, so he's in a good. He's a local guy in that area. Um, big name, former NFL guy. So I think they should. He's the interim head coach now. I think they need to take that tag away and make him the head guy. Houston Oilers, way before my time, folks. That's way <laughs> before my time. Uh, a couple other guys that um, have Mike been just started liking football, that's why. <laughs> just, um, just picked it up this week. <laughs> got a couple other guys that are uh, moving on. we got to go uh, first with Paul Nichols. Uh, his contract not renewed at Davidson after five seasons. Um, Davidson really has kind of been in a, in a tough stretch recently, so not a total surprise by this move. I missed it. What you said? Not a total surprise for Davidson moving on, do you think, for this? For this I, I like Coach Nichols, man. He's a young coach. He's my age. He's 36 years old. And he played at, at Davidson. And it's a tough place to, to recruit and, and tough place to Ohio win. is very tough, very competitive. Right. And, and so I, I just think that, you know, it's I understand it's all about wins and losses. But sometimes you got to look deeper into how a program is being built and give a coach another chance or keep giving coaches a chance so that way he can turn this thing around. Well, I'll tell you what, with the number of coaches that are moving on to different jobs, I'm sure he will find another opportunity yeah. as a young coach especially. Um, I'm sure he will find something else to move on. It's, I think it's always tough, the pressure of coaching your alma mater as well. And it's a little he, bit of a pressure on you. You know, you got, you know, oh, he's he played here, he should know, he's going to bring us back. And yeah, it's always that's tough. A, that's a little tough, especially, you know, with a program that's, in kind of a football hotbed in the you know in the Midwest there, um, another guy that has uh, 
left the coaching ranks. Carl Torbush from uh, East Tennessee State. He is officially retired after seven seasons. And this is a guy that really um, brought up this program and really brought it to a little bit more of prominence. And now he's just decided, all right, that's enough for me. I got I to gotta move on. Yeah, he did what he had to do. He brought the program back. Uh, East Tennessee State was dormant for about 10 years maybe, I believe. Uh, restarted football. And kudos for them for getting this thing back on the, on the national scene at the FCS level. Tolbush had them playing uh, at the Daytona, not the Daytona 500. What's the other big? Uh, Indianapolis 500. No, it's another race uh, where Virginia Tech and. Um, oh, Bristol. Bristol. Bristol he had, Motor Speedway. He had right after that game. NASCAR knowledge. Right, exactly. Right after Virginia Tech, Ohio State played. East Tennessee State played someone at that at Bristol the next day or the following weekend. So not only did you bring the program back, you got them playing in a, a, a historic raceway. Um, you got the program competitive. I thought this was the year they were going to push through, but they may be a year away. They're just like Kennesaw. That's a lot of talent on that team. And so he has set that program up for success as well. And one more guy we want to talk about here, uh, Larry Keenan, uh, fired after six seasons at Incarnate Word. And talk about a guy that has built a program, taking this team from D2, then had them as, a, as an independent, and then got them into full conference mode. Um, obviously, Incarnate Word, more an, again, a newer program, had an over 500 record. Just maybe time to move on a little bit. Yeah. Well, and he, it's also a quasi-retirement, too. Yeah. Coach is 73 years old. You know, yeah, so, I think he's a it, it, coach. It's time to put your feet up a little bit. Yeah, just, you know, you want to relax a little bit. You, know, you don't want to right. recruiting and stuff like that, all that nonsense that you got to deal with. So, um, but he did what he had to do, raised the profile of the program. They have some sweet uniforms as well. Yes, love their uniforms. Um, so the next coach is going to take over is going to inherit a program that has risen from D two, and has had some success at the FCS level. I mean, they had a guy that played was in uh, training camp with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Mike Tavares was a tremendous linebacker. Um, so they're going to have some talent in this team because, again, they're in Texas. So yeah. it's it's hard to be terrible in Texas. If you're terrible in Texas, you have a problem. Yeah, and I, I by the way, I still think that when they play Houston Baptist, you should call that the Church Bowl. <laughs> just just add those two together. Just make it the, make it the Church Bowl. Shout out to Houston Baptist. Um, again, folks. That's another team in Houston. I didn't even think of that. Come on, man. And you forgot Savannah State when we were talking about Georgia. So what, what – what? What? Right. Come on. Do and I have you, to do my research for you? But you didn't. Why didn't you bring it up? You are Mike. I just. Our producer sitting right here, and he has nothing to say. Again, <laughs> he just picked up football this week. <laughs> Folks, again, this is the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Let's get back now to the postseason. Let's talk previews. I'm going to start with the first bowl game officially of the season. We're talking the Celebration Bowl between North Carolina A&T, the champions of the MEAC, and Grambling State the champions of the SWAC. Not only is this a, a tremendous matchup, regardless of what the the, the uh, what the papers say, you're talking a top 15 team squaring off here. North Carolina NT number 7, Grambling at number 13. You're going to be down here for this game. This is going to be, this is the matchup we all wanted. This is the matchup we all, we were all hoping, please, Alcorn, don't do this. Don't, we were also hoping A&T, just take care of business, please. We just want to see this matchup. We finally got it, and it's going to be a tremendous game to watch. Shout out to the Braves. Yeah, nobody wanted the Braves to win. Nobody wants the Braves. Nobody, nobody you, wants were, you were like, you know, nobody wants to see Alcorn again in uh, Celebration we saw, Bowl. We saw this game already, man. We saw NC A&T beat up on Alcorn. It was a really good game, but no one wants to see that. Everybody wants best versus best, and we got that matchup in this one. And here's the thing. 
A&T, I think, is strong enough to where they could have made a run in the playoffs. Oh, 100%. Right. So, 100%. Um, they could have done what New Hampshire did, right? So now that they're that. in this game, you got the you got the MIAC Offensive Player of the Year, Lamar Renard. You have an NFL prospect that's also going to the Senior Bowl in Brandon Parker, the left tackle. You have one of the best defenses in the FCS, not in the MIAC or HBCU football, the entire FCS. They're ranked seventh in the country. This is a strong team, and they beat an FBS opponent in Charlotte. They're yep. facing Grambling, who has one of the most exciting quarterbacks in college football in Devontae Kincaid, one of the most explosive running backs in Martez Carter, and also, by the way, they are the reigning Celebration Bowl champions with one of the more dynamic coaching staffs, I think, in the FCS. I love what uh, Coach Fobbs has done with Grambling, restoring the roar. He's a Grambling guy, a Grambling man, came back and restored that program Eric Dooley, the offensive coordinator, is an outstanding play caller. He should be in line for one of these FCS openings uh, because of what he can do as far as recruiting and also uh, play calling. He has ties across from Texas all the way to Florida. He has recruiting ties. So that's something that you, you should keep an eye on. Plus, they're undefeated in the SWAC. You know, and, and Not easy. You got all of these Not factors easy. coming into the Mercedes-Benz Dome on a Saturday. Chick-fil-A is going to be open in the stadium. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> Definitely, definitely a bonus. Shout out to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and I think what you talk about with Grambling, too, is that they always ha almost have an advantage because they play the Bayou Classic, and if you win that against Southern, more than likely that team gets in. So they've already dealt with the big stadium atmosphere with 40,000, 50,000, 60,000 people just going absolutely nuts. A&T really hasn't had that, so I, that's where I wonder, does that give Grambling a little bit of a help? Um, but you mentioned Coach Fobbs, though. I think this is going to be a chess match between because you have two tremendous coaching staffs, Coach Broadway on for A&T, Coach Fobbs for Grambling. They're going to have a real tough time trying to figure each other out. This is going to be really tense on the sideline as well as on the field. Yeah, and, and, and both are really built the same way. Yeah. You know, you talk about the line of scrimmage. I mean, Grambling's offensive line is excellent, too. You talk about a guy in Trenton Scott, left tackle, another pro prospect. I think he's going to the NFLPA game as well as Martez Carter. So you got a lot of all-stars in this game. The Celebration Bowl should be ecstatic about what they have right now as this matchup because Devontae Kincaid, a guy that was in the running for the Walter Payton Award, um, and he's also – I don't know if he's uh, committed to the NFLPA game or the East-West Shrine game, but he has his choice, I think, of, of both. It's nice to have that option. Exactly. It? You talk about a guy that went 31 touchdowns to four intercepts last year. This year, similar stats. 21 and three. 21 and three. So he doesn't turn the ball over. And he does so much damage with his, with his legs. And so this game, it's, it's a shame it's only one. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of yeah. want to see these two teams play often. Play like a three-game series Exactly. Or so I'm excited about it. And you talked about the coaching staffs. That's what it's going to come down to, you know, the chess match and – Unique situation you brought up that Grambling plays the Bayou Classic and then the SWAC championship game. A&T's last game was in November. Yeah, a little rust, you think. Exactly. So how can Coach Broadway get his guys up and ready to play? Granted, they've played in this game before. They played in the, in the inaugural game back in 2015 right. with Tariq Cohen and Chris Garden, who's still playing. He's He had he broke the NCAA punt return record in that ball game with a punt return touchdown against Alcorn. He's still playing. He's still a dynamic talent. This is going to be a really good game because you have so many pro prospects, so much talent, so much speed and athleticism, and great coaching on both sides. So you couldn't get a better bowl game 
to kick off bowl season than the 2017 Celebration Bowl. And you talk about matchups on both sides of the ball. It's strength versus strength at every position. You talk about, you know, Kincaid versus Renard in the quarterback battle. But you talk about the running back battle, too. Elijah Bell, very underrated running back, taking on Martez Carter. You then have... No, uh, Bell is a, Bell Mark, is a receiver. Right. Markel Cartwright, excuse me. Right. Lamar, Elijah Bell in the wide receiver position against uh, Daryl Clark and Jordan Jones. So you've got some really great matchups there on the offense, but defensively, too, some really, really powerful defensive teams on, on both sides. Um, Alan Clark, 11 sacks this year for Grambling as like a specialty edge runner kind of a type. Jeremy Taylor on for A&T has been tremendous with five interceptions this year, as has Franklin McCain. So between, you know, there's no real matchup where you look and you say, okay, this team has a slight advantage in the quarterback position. This team has a slight advantage. A lot of these are going to be a push, and I think it's really going to come down to who makes the one mistake, because you mentioned the two quarterbacks that don't make mistakes with the ball. Who can force the mistake on the defensive side is really going to shift this entire game on its head and going to decide the winner, I think. Yeah, football is all about, for me at least, it's all about can you score and can you take the ball away. And you talk about teams that can take the ball away, you're talking about North Carolina anti and you're talking about grambling. I think what will have to happen for grambling, they have to find a way to win up front. Yeah, They're a little bit light at linebacker. Last year they had great linebackers. Um, this year they're you know guys that are sophomores and juniors. They're a little bit light. Not saying size is a skill, but against his offensive line, you, you're going to need your your linebackers to get off blocks. Need them to be smart more than physical. Right. You got to beat them to the spot, and you got to find unique ways to win. And that's when you have to use your size as a skill. And, and so that's going to be what to watch. The running game. You talked about Cartwright. I thought this. Th- here's how football works oh I, th- I thought it would work you <laughs> it never works like you think it's going to at all because you have Tariq Cohen who by the way is just ripping up the NFL right now right you lose a guy like that you have to figure that hey this offense is going to take a step back that's a big piece yeah they can make some dip. Little, little dip, dip right the, you didn't expect Cartwright to pick up right where they left off and lead this team in rushing and be a real key cog in their offense really balance out their offense. They don't have to lean completely on the ground game like they did with Cohen, and it has helped Lamar Renard. The receivers are now getting more targets. So their offense is probably a little bit more dangerous without Cohen as opposed to with him because of how Cartwright has balanced out their offense. But um, what has gotten better is their defense. Because I thought they, they they lost a ton of talent within their front seven. And there was no way that what they lost last year, which was excellent, that they were going to be this good this season. But all of that has proven false. This is show, This shows you how well Broadway has recruited, how great of a staff they have to develop the talent behind those frontline starters. And, and they've just done it. Grambling's the same way defensively because Grambling lost their second, their, their defense. Grambling, to me, had four NFL guys on defense last year, two on the D-line, one at linebacker, two in the secondary, and he lost all those guys to graduation. This year, their defense is even better. So it's crazy how Makes these no guys have been able to do that. Offensively, you expect them to be there, but I, I, I'm excited to see this game, man. This is going to be a, a, a real heavyweight fight. And I, and I think, too, you look at – I think the question comes down to we, – we mentioned strength of schedule and how we don't think it's really that important to selecting the playoff process – 
which it's hard to determine which team has had a tougher road to get to this to the record that they're at. They both have very impressive records. But is the MEAC, do you think, the tougher conference to get through through A&T? Or is it, you know, it, does Grambling have the tougher road through the SWAC? Man, that's a great question because... Because you got Southern on in, in the SWAC with Prairie View. you got some great programs in Alcorn, of course. But then you got, look at the MEAC. you got Hampton. you got your Howards who are looking at possible playoffs, plus, plus NC Central. Well, and here's the unique part about the MEAC. I don't believe A&T played Howard this year. Right. So... You have games that you, you in the MEAC, you can avoid certain teams based off scheduling. In the SWAC, you got to run the gambit. You know, you have to play those teams. And you look at Grambling's schedule right here, Alabama State, when they played Alabama State, was a tough game. Right. Because they were, they were you know, coaching turnover, and they were on a two-game winning streak, I believe, and they played Alabama State at a time where Alabama State was good. Southern is always a good matchup. Alcorn is obviously the best in the East. So, and you look at their non-conference schedule. They lost to Tulane, and they had to play Northwestern State, who just hired Brad Laird as their head coach. So they made a coaching change. But NC Central, to me, the Gardner-Webb victory was was great. That's that was really eye-opening because you don't you normally don't see how you don't see MEAC teams go up against Big South teams. So you expect that game to be a little bit close. If they're going to win, it's going to be like 24-20. Yeah. They beat the brakes off Gardner-Webb. And then they go down to Charlotte and beat the brakes off the 49ers. Um, and they dominated the game from start to finish. What I would like to see is um, a team like NC, NC uh, A&T. You mentioned they play Central. Yes, the, they get that game late at, at the end of the season. But they also have a tough one against Bethune-Cookman. So I think it's a wash. Yep. It depends on which teams are strong because you normally, let's say when you talk about the MEAC, Central, A&T, Bethune, uh, and Howard were the four teams, I believe, this year that, are, that were right. strong. Norfolk was kind of like the uh, the fly in the army team. They were more like the, the Prairie View this year of the MEAC because in the SWAC you had Grambling, Southern, Alcorn, and then Prairie View. You know, Prairie View was kind of like, okay, they could be good, they could be okay, and they started to get it figured out late. So it's interesting. Both have a unique role because, you know, these teams are – it's bigger than the the scheduling, I believe, or bigger than what's on paper because every game is a rivalry game. Every game is either a classic or has some type of meaning. Yeah. So you really got to play hard every week. And, again, folks, this is a uh, interesting stat. North Carolina team, if they win, will be the first MEAC team ever to go undefeated for a season. Ever? Ever. That's according to their game notes. Wow. So that's going to be a lot on the line for the conference as well as the team. This game is on Saturday. It's at noon. Folks, check it out. And it's, it's on going, ABC. And it's on ABC. A little national television for the MEAC and the SWAC. Let's move on now to the FCS semifinals. We're down to the final four where there is no easy game. There was no easy game really. There were a couple easy games in the quarterfinals. But these two, I was, I'm trying to break these down. I'm trying to pick a winner and sound like I'm confident in who's going to win this thing. I have no idea because these two <laughs> matchups are so close. It's real tough to pick a winner. Let's start with the game on Friday, 8 p.m. ESPN2. Again, there's no other bowl games on. There's no excuse, folks. This is what your entertainment will be Friday night. North Dakota State, back home in their dome, taking on Sam Houston. Now, we saw what North Dakota North Dakota State can do when a team makes mistakes and they're maybe not a high-powered offense 
kind of one-dimensional. We've seen that the last couple of rounds. Are they prepared for Sam Houston State? Because they're going to come at them with a sledgehammer and a couple of pistols. And if they're not ready, it's going to be a t- long, tough day for the Bison. A lot tougher than they think. Well, here's the thing. Last year, they faced a team that was very similar in James Madison. And the Dukes went up there to the Fargo Dome and really ran their way to victory. It's quiet at the dome. Yeah, they quieted the dome. That's a very tough place to to, to you know keep quiet. Hit the mute button. Right. <laughs> so, can Sam Houston State run the ball consistently? James Madison essentially was like, "Hey, we may not have enough time back there in the pocket to to have short throw the football. That's fine. Just going to lean on Khalid Abdullah and run the football, and he did to close out that game." Sam Houston State has the offense, they have the athletes, they have the quarterback to make North Dakota sweat. So this game for North Dakota, you really got to come in and say, hey, this team is built a lot like what the Dukes were last year. We want, we hated that game. And they're faster. And they're faster. And they're more explosive. And so the question for North Dakota State or for Sam Houston State is, can your defense hold up? Mm, that's what I was thinking, too, because and you're also talking about a team in North Dakota State that does control the ball a little bit more than some of the teams you find in the Southland, where, again, it's the wild, wild west. Everybody's just throwing long. Right. And we saw what happened when they faced a team that was similar to that in Kennesaw. Now, Kennesaw doesn't throw the ball nearly as much as North Dakota State does, but they control the field. They control the clock. And when you're a high-powered offense, the one thing you want more than anything else are snaps. You're used to a team used to getting 80 snaps a game. 70, 80 snaps a game, 80 plays. That's how they beat you. That's how they run you into the ground and run you off the field. You're facing a team in North Dakota State with Easton Stick who knows how to control the ball, can control the game with his legs. You have the three-headed monster at running back. I wonder if North Dakota State will just outlast them by just holding onto the ball for a longer time. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if their offensive approach changes in this game because you have an offense that relies on plays. Like You could speed it up to slow it down. You can have a play, right. get to the line of scrimmage, let that clock run a little bit before you move on to the next play. That, to me, is going to be the key. Because if they can't do that, then they're going to have some problems because their defense is going to be tired. And you can't have a tired defense against an offensive line like North Dakota State because they could really wear you down. And you start to see Wofford get worn down in that ball game. Yeah. Sam Houston State's offense has to be their biggest help to their defense in this game. Otherwise – this game could look like what we saw it look against Wofford. So they have to really kind of manage their own offense in order to have their defense play optimum football against this Bison team that is really looking forward to getting back to Frisco. They mentioned th- uh, during the broadcast that they th- these fans tell the coach, hey, we already booked our flights to Frisco. They're expecting to get back to Frisco. That's a bit of confidence, don't you? A little And I guarantee maybe? they booked those flights without the little insurance that, you know. Oh, uh, no, they, they definitely they, did not get the flights. You're not going to pay those extra $10 to get that insurance. They you, got the hotel. Yeah, they got we're the going champagne to Frisco. booked. It's just we're, like, we're going. <laughs> I mean, so it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a tremendous game. And I think what North Dakota – I think the pressure is on North Dakota State to show what I, I talked about last week, a little pep, points every possession. Because if they don't, you see what happens with Sam Houston. When they're flying high, when they're in, at their peak, they're going to be down the field and scoring touchdowns before you know it. You're going to turn around and it's 21-0. So North Dakota State, when they have the ball, not only do they have to control it, they have to get something on the board. Because you know that they're going to get at least 30 points for Sam Houston, minimum. So if you're in North Dakota State, put up 35. That's going to be the key. 
Yeah, it's got to it got to be the key. And uh, you know, again, if they could bring that wheel route again, it was killer Waffle with it. Maybe they can kill Sammy. <laughs> I have a feeling it. that's going to be on the on the scout <laughs> tape. Wheel route. Do not get beat with a wheel route. The other semifinal though. Now this one is true intrigue. We mentioned it's true intrigue. 4.30 Eastern on ESPNU, Saturday, James Madison hosting South Dakota State. JMU, we've said it bef- like this entire playoffs and the last few weeks of the season, they're not as dominant as they used to be. They have slowed down. Defensively, one of the best teams in the country, if not the best. But they're not the powerhouse that's going to run you over. They're, just, they're winning because they can. They've kind of turned into the Alabama. They're not going to beat you by 40 points. We're going to beat you by 20 or 14, but you're going to know about it. Weber State took into the break, and now you have a team in South Dakota who's a lot in that Weber mold, but maybe a whole lot better. Do the Jackrabbits have a shot in this game and pulling a major upset? And we, can, we get a, can we get an all-Dakota final? Is that possible? They would love that out there. Because <laughs> there's me. nothing else. You can get a Dakota marker championship game. That would be huge. <laughs> Talk about the, you know, I think all of Dakotas, both of them, would be down in Frisco, Texas. Because remember, South Dakota State beat North Dakota State in the regular season. Like, there would be. Two years ago. There would be no body in the state, left in the state of (laughs) North or South Dakota. If you're planning on committing a crime, go to the Dakotas if this matchup happens because no one will be there. Exactly. (laughs) And and they're already, and they they needle, uh, North Dakota State needles. Uh, South Dakota State fans for not packing the stadium, but who in the hell wants to go out in that weather? I don't want to sit in the cold. <laughs> did, exactly. you see, did you see the weather that was going on a couple weeks ago out there? I'm not. Did you sit, see what was going there. on yesterday in Buffalo? I don't want to sit in that. Who's gonna? You couldn't pay me to sit outside. So, and North Dakota State can needle them because they have the friendly confines of a warm dome. Nice dome. Exactly. Know, heated oh, air, we pack our stadium like we're yeah. inside. But all Come jokes on. aside, <laughs> South Dakota State has a legit shot in this game. We saw cracks in the foundation for James Madison last week. If you have confidence in your passing game, your deep passing game, you can have success against James Madison. Mm -hmm. Defensively, they're tough. You won't run against James Madison. You will not. Right. You will be able to throw against them. They have two of the best targets in the FCS. Two pro prospects in Jake Winnegie and Dallas Goddard, the tight end. They have a tremendous quarterback that's not afraid of pressure in Taron Christian. Therein lies the problem for James Madison. Now, with the Dukes have in their favor, they can play any type of game. We saw them having to go to their up-tempo passing game when they needed to, and they were effective, and they won the game. We saw them lean on their ground game and run the football. They actually could have run the ball down Weaver State's throat. Both of those tailbacks are tremendous. They're explosive, and if you give them a crease – they're going to house it. So they can play any type of game. Defensively, they're going to be great. I think this game will come down to South Dakota State's offense connecting and making plays deep down the field with their two excellent options at receiver and tight end. I tell you what, you just gave some heck of a bulletin board material for JMU's defense because, I mean, Richard Robinson and Jordan Brown are sitting there like, hello, we got five or six interceptions apiece over here. We're not exactly no slouch. And Raven Green is a really good safety, too. So I, you're, I, I think that's going to be where this game is going to be won. It's going to be in the secondary of JMU. If defensively they can even make one or two more stops than you would normally have against those targets, I think that's enough. Again, we were talking about Brian Shore and how he's kind of been downhill, a little bit down this year from what he was last year. 
he's still a heck of a leader, and he showed up when he needed to against Weaver. Boys, I'm putting this team game on my back. Follow me. Put up 300 yards passing. He's going to need to do that again, but he can't wait until the fourth quarter to do it. He's got to do it all four quarters, and if he does that, that puts just that gives JMU that control. The thing that JMU does the best is they control the game. As you said, they can play any type of game. They can be comfortable in a high-passing offense. They can be fine running the ball, defensive struggle. But they're never, really, that last quarter was the first time we've seen them in trouble in any point. They always seem to have that control, like, yeah, you're up by 10, but, eh, eh, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back with this. I think what's going to happen here is you're going to see the experience of JMU pay off a bit here. I don't know if it's enough for them to beat the Jackrabbits, but I think that if it gets to a close game, especially in the fourth quarter where it's being played in the trenches, that's going to help the Dukes because they have that experience of playing in those big games, getting, I mean, you win in the Fargo Dome last year, you're doing something right. The coaches know what to do. The guys that are returning, those juniors that are now seniors, they're going to know what to do as well. And I think it's going to really come down to, again, that one mistake. I think this is going to be a very close game. First mistake is really going to be a killer. Yeah, it really is. And again, two great matchups this weekend in the playoffs. So I wouldn't be upset with any combination of teams no. getting to Frisco. These these are the four. I think these are the four teams really that deserved to be here. Like, there's no fairy tale team that's made a ridiculous. Like, if New Hampshire was in this Final Four, you'd be like, huh? You probably would start to root for New Hampshire then. Mm, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've, I, I've talked too much. I can't root for them now. I played Devil Advocate once. That was enough. He was pointing no return. But I do think but, you're right. This is These are the four uh, best teams in the FCS. So we'll see. Because North Dakota State, South Dakota State would be a great matchup. It'd be great to get the rematch of North Dakota, James oh, Madison. That would be ridiculous. South Dakota State, Sam Houston would be a track meet. Yep. You know, Sam Houston, JMU. Um you know, I don't know how that one goes. <laughs> that's a, that's Talk, well, it could be another track meet. <laughs> so. Could be. I mean, I think everybody, everybody who's a neutral is rooting for the JMU North Dakota State rematch. Just because it, it, even though it's not going to be in the dome, there's going to be so much, it, it, there's so much animosity. You mentioned those North Dakota State fans that are already booking their trip to Frisco. They no, were, no, no, they've already booked. Oh no, I know they've already booked. I'm just saying, there's a lot of anger for when oh, yeah. they lost that game last year. They were. There was some displeasure in Bison Land. Christmas was upset for no. There was no Christmas. They just flat out canceled it. North Dakota <laughs> canceled Christmas. JMU ended Christmas in the Dakotas. They want this revenge more than anything. Five national titles in a row, and that's ended in the semis. That's not good enough. That's just not good enough. As for JMU, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if they have the same team, but they are not playing the same level of talent too in North Dakota State. So, let me let me ask you this: If if you are James Madison, yes, are you? I like being one of the founding founders. Like yeah, this. there you go. <laughs> are you are you looking for? Are are you overlooking this team a little bit? This team that you're playing currently in this semifinal game. I don't think you can overlook anybody once you get into the into the playoffs, especially right. coming off what just happened last week against Weber State. That was a wake up call. That was beyond a wake up call. But at the same time. South Dakota State's even better than that. So they better do twice the preparation, twice as hard. Otherwise. And if you're North Dakota State, do you think? North Dakota State is the If there's going to be either one of the two teams from that are the top two seeds that is going to be sleeping on this game, I think it's going to be North Dakota State because they're, oh, we're rolling. We can't be stopped. We're going. 
Sam Houston. Hello. I think <laughs> I think Sam Houston is the uh, if that's the wild card. That's the Cinderella team I think in this whole yeah. thing because they may potentially lose their coach. Casey Keeler has been rumored to get uh, to be a guy that has had his name tossed around for some FBS jobs. That raging Cajun job that's open. I heard his name being tossed around. You just want that just so you want some help. Actually, I just want Raging Cajuns <laughs> to do the right thing and, uh, you know, let, let's crowdsource this thing. Let, let's, <laughs> let's let everybody coach the team, you know. Well, we'll definitely have to see about that. But I'll tell you what, Sam Houston, again, that offense can't be stopped by everybody, not just anybody. You have to be a special defense to make sure that thing uh, doesn't go full steam on you. Again, you're going to be traveling. You're heading down to the Celebration Bowl. You got, any, you got any plans while you're down there? Or are you just going to be – it's all business or are you just doing a little vacation? Shrimp and grits, first of all, number one. <laughs> um, and I will be at uh, Clark Atlanta doing a football game plan U segment. I will also be at Mercer. Shout out to the Bears, FCS program. They love football game plan. And we'll be on campus interviewing Coach Bobby Lamb doing nice, our thing. Very nice. Shout out to the Mercer Bears. And we're waiting to hear back from Kennesaw. Ooh, is it too soon? Not too, too soon. soon. No, game Coach, over. Coach, return our calls. <laughs> Coach, so we'll we'll see. I'm checking my email. Maybe we may get a, some late breaking news right here. But I just matter of fact, I just x that out. So I'll check it when we get off the show. <laughs> but those are um, that's so I'll be doing those campus visits. Then you got the whole uh, press conference. So I'll be at the press conference. You'll see all the footage on FootballGamePlan.com and the YouTube channel. And our preview is already up for that game. And also, we'll be at the game do, g- giving you our live updates, talking about more pro prospects to keep an eye on. We'll probably do a live stream prior to the game kicking off in the stadium, um, doing some chalk talk, stuff like that. So we got a lot of good stuff planned. I get down there Thursday morning. I'm excited to, to get back down there because I love Atlanta. And I mentioned the shrimp and grits. The first year I went to the Celebration Bowl, that's literally all I ate for them two days. You were addicted to the stuff. So, so addicted. Save room for the Chick-fil-A. That's all I can say. In the stadium on Saturday, so it's going to be open. Save save room for the Chick-fil-A. And, folks, you can watch all of that again. on. You can follow us on Twitter at the FCS Kickoff, at FCS Opening Drive, and at F-Ball Game Plan. Uh, And follow us on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash footballgameplan for all of the updates from the Celebration Bowl um, and footballgameplan.com slash FCS Kickoff for all the updates for FCS football from the semifinals. To any one of the shows you want to hear again, you can go to iTunes. We're all over the place, folks. We are really, really excited for this weekend of football. Bowl season, favorite time of the year. And before we sign off, I just want to give a quick shout-out to the Black Knights. I know this is an FC8 show. Army, back-to-back wins over Navy. Sink the squibs. Sink second. 17-14 in a very snowy Lincoln Financial Field. So congratulations. I thought you went to Springfield. I did, but I had an I had a great uncle that went to West Point, okay. so I I I, I kind of have to root, kind of go that way. But it was great last year, ending the streak. Now we started a streak of our own. I'm not saying we're winning 14 in a row over Navy. I'm saying we are. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> folks, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching on the live stream. We're hoping to do this every single week. Thank you to Mike McCarthy, our producer, for getting all of that set up. Hopefully he's on camera. Hopefully he isn't. I don't know which one. I don't care which one you want to have. Um, But again, you can listen to us on iTunes and on SoundCloud, FCS Opening Drive Podcast. For Emery Hunt, I'm David Hassagan. Thanks for watching.